I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> Y'all went down the rabbit hole and ran the dog off. <laughs> he just went to see if his, his he's seen if his little uh, chipmunk out there that his arch nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he's seeing. I know for a hundred percent fact he goes to that front window like a hundred times a day, and that's what's out there is a little chipmunk running around. Besides the birds, he don't, he don't like them birds either. <laughs> they really do. Welcome to another trip down the Bourbon Road with your hosts, Jim and Mike. So grab a glass of your favorite bourbon and kick back. We would like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Loggerheads Home Center for supporting this episode of the Bourbon Road. Find out more about their fine rustic furniture at logheadshomecenter.com. Hey, this is Big Chief from the Bourbon Road, and uh, we're out here at Jeff the Bend Farm, and I actually got some visitors here today. Um, Jim can't be here because he's working, but, you know, somebody's got to make the money in that family. So I'm out here. I actually had the folks from Leaper's Fork Distillery down there in Tennessee. They came up to visit me. I got Lee Kennedy. I got April Weller Cantrell. Yes, her name is Weller. That means her family's been making whiskey for a long time. And then I got Matt King, a.k.a. Forrest Gump, the <laughs> runner with me. And they actually brought somebody with them. Um, she's a Kentucky girl. They brought Ashley Barnes from the Spirits Group with her. She's a master blender. So she's working with them to, uh, I don't know if you can improve their whiskey much more than it. It's pretty good juice. I put the cherry on top. Put the cherry on the top. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. So I, I see all these SUVs pull up to my house, and I'm thinking, well, who is this fool cutting out with his polo on and, <laughs> and his, and his skinny jeans? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And as Lee Kennedy so shaved his beard off, and he's got his hair pulled back in a ponytail, and I was yeah. like, man, that ain't Billy Ray. <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> Can't even bust it on trying to clean up for you. So, hey, thanks uh, for coming out today. Thanks for coming out to Jeff the Bend Farm. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Thank you. A little couple thunderstorms driving up. As long as it wasn't a tornado, we were good. Yeah. Who was driving? That's me. Lee. Is that why? Do you drive like an old man? Kind (laughs) of. I mean, it's about three hours up here from Leapers Fort. Not too bad. Sending all traffic in Nashville. Were you running late or? Uh, We're always running late. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that happens. There's a few curves in the road up here, you know. Just a beautiful part of the country. Just a couple curves. But actually, you're probably used to this kind of. Very much so. You live out in Harrisburg. I do. But you're like all over the world all the time. Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) So before we get into the whiskey, which is killing me not to drink this, actually take us through your background and what, how'd you become a master blender? So my world started in this industry with Buffalo Trace. And I worked in quality control, did liquid quality, packaging quality, all the fun stuff. Worked with uh, some great people out there. Harlan, Drew, um, Chris Fletcher was still there. He actually hired me in. He's now with Jack Daniels, so another Tennessee tie. And I kind of 
I learned there that I had a really unique palate and I was able to taste things that I thought were just different, but was able to start learning what those things were. I could say, all right, something's different about this sample, but at that point I didn't know what it was until I started working with Drew, really honed in my palate and my ability, started learning blending there. And I really enjoyed blending. So as time went on, I got an offer from Four Roses, come down there and work, uh, really honing my ability with whiskey, specifically with bourbon, and spent four years there from 2014, 2019, uh, working with Jim and Brent and great team down there. I worked uh, quality, quality control with liquid distillate to aging, maturation, projecting how things were going to age, blending, maintaining flavor profiles and products and just really fell in love with blending even more and honed my ability there. And uh, once I created this company with my business partner, Monica Wolf, and she is she's the brains behind our business and, and really keeps me in check because we joke, I like to keep all the puppies in the pound. And she says, no, we can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we, we created this company and started it and... It was then at one of the, we do whiskey judging, work with ACSA a lot. And I had several peers of mine that I look up to in the industry, been in the industry for a long time. So why do you not have master in front of blender? I was like, cause that's not my job to give me that title. I, I don't want it. And they said, well, you need to. So I gave in to peer pressure and just kept kept trucking along. So how do you, how do you have ties to Leapers for? Did you contact them or did, did you guys contact her? I actually heard, uh, it's kind of funny. We're on a podcast, but the first time I heard <laughs> Ashley's name was on a podcast with uh dad's drinking bourbon with John and uh, Ashley was working or still does work with Pennington uh, distilling down in Nashville and Jeff Pennington and Carter friends of mine. So I was listening to the podcast she did with, uh, with Jeff and Carter and walking through walking the audience through kind of her process and, uh, of how she was helping them uh, really build their whiskey post maturation. So after that podcast, I guess, you know, we were kind of in that same boat. We were, um, we've been releasing some whiskey that, that we go and hand select once a year. And so we were finally at a point where we've been releasing some single barrel cash strengths and I, we were getting ready to start marrying some barrels together. <clears throat> so I knew that I needed some expertise. You know, I've got a lot of experience pre-maturation from grain through fermentation up through distillation. Um, Post-maturation is a dis- different animal, especially for new distilleries. You know, I don't have somebody on staff who's who's um, uh, has the resume that that Ashley has, and I I know I have a I trust my own palate, and I know good whiskey, and I, but I also realize that. Uh, somebody like her who has the experience with four roses and with Buffalo trace, what they bring to the table and being able to, to take your building block, so to speak for barrels. And she's going to walk us through her process, but she takes what you have, what you've made. And she puts those together to create a, a, a pretty unique product. So um, one, anyway, that's, that's how I came to, to find out about Ashley. And I'll, I'll, we'll tell you one thing I did to kind of, um, not validate her ex- existence <laughs> in my organization, but I, I went through some experiments and uh, where with my CFO and, and it was pretty in my folks that work there. It was pretty entertaining. 
And I did not know this was going on and was not prepared and actually just sent something like, hey, what do you think of this? And then he says, and then he says, um, I tested it with my people. I was like, you did what? <laughs> yeah. Well, so, you know, being a new distillery, we've only been, we've been distilling going on five years. So uh, our Tennessee whiskey that's over four years old finally comes out this fall. And actually our reason for being in uh, Kentucky right now is one to do the podcast with you, the other to meet up with Ashley to put barrel samples in her hand so we can start that process of building that Tennessee whiskey that'll come out this fall. Um, so when we were doing this with the rye as a baseline, we were only talking about 16 barrels uh, of rye whiskey. They were all the same grain bill, pretty much the same age, three years, 10 months old, still a, still a young whiskey. Um, so as a baseline, I just took a sample of or incremental samples, say 20 mils of each of those samples, married them together, let them sit, had them different proof points. Uh, and that was our baseline, you know, because you know, a lot of distillers think, hey, man, you've got this whiskey you've made. Just throw them together, put it in a bottle, and go to market. Well, that's that's very simplistic, and that's you know my CFO. He keeps us out of the ditch financially, and and I love him for that. But you know, he's like, man, I just don't know if we that's something we need to spend the money on. Like, I, I just don't know. I don't would, won't we just marry these barrels together, put them in a bottle? And I said, well, let's let's go through an exercise and see what actually brings to the table. So. I took my little baseline and then she came up with a blend and obviously we ran that through about 12 to 15 people and everybody to a man except Forrest picked uh, <laughs> Ashley's product. <laughs> the only one. But maybe it's his wine, wine background. <laughs> it is probably. So it. Short, short story, you got to thank Big John Edwards, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Big yeah. John, if, if, if you're listening out there and you're new to the podcast world, uh, Big John, John Edwards is from Dad's mm-hmm. Drinking Bourbon. Great guy. Uh, I can't say enough good things yeah, about him. All, yeah, John's Anytime great. Anytime I've got a question about the whiskey world or mm-hmm. I need a contact, he said, hey, you need to reach out to this person or talk to this person. So, John, hey, man, thanks. Yep. Yep. So, you bring her in. Forrest, obviously, was against it, so he's vote. So, that's <laughs> why he's against it. Hold on. So, working with Ashley was awesome. Uh, it was such a great experience. And I was never against it. What she created was amazing. So i, I got to say that. Brilliant because I think whenever you, if I cook something, you know, I'm going to say it's the best in the world, mm-hmm. right? But a good chef is always going to have somebody else taste his cooking and say, sure, be honest, please be honest with me, mm-hmm. you know. And my honesty is always my wife, and she'll, she'll let me know, sure, you know, hey, that tastes like crap, or this is wonderful. And I'm only going to tell you one time that's wonderful, you'll know from now, now on, but, um, you could fool yourself though. Absolutely. Right. Yep. If I look at something I do and I'm like, and that's, that's awesome. I, I mean, I got a big head. So I always think, Hey, everything I do is the best, but mm-hmm. if I'm honest with myself, it's probably not, you mm-hmm. know, it's not the best in the world. So, um, to have an expert come in, but she's obviously expert. She has that background working at, you know, probably two of the most well-known distilleries mm-hmm. in the world. You know, yep. you got four roses, old school distillery. And then you got Buffalo trace that, just has all kinds of heritage and stuff. She's kicked ass those jobs. Why not bring her in and and produce or help you out? Because if you put your whiskey out there, me and Ashley's, we've had a couple conversations about that. If you push your put your whiskey out there, and a couple people drink it, a couple of people review it, and they say, hey, "This is just not good stuff." Mm-hmm. How much money does that cost you? Absolutely, mm-hmm. to dump all that. Not only dumping the whiskey, but 
you know, you're dumping those bottles, you're dumping everything you've put into the marketing and everything. <clears throat> and before it even gets in the bottle, have somebody like her come in and do it. Well, we've talked a little bit and I still <laughs> haven't drank any of this, this whiskey. So tell me what we got today, April. Um, this is our, our straight raw whiskey. Um, I'm really excited about this. As I think I told y'all before, I was not a huge rye fan whenever Lee brought me on, but um, he taught me a lot about rye. And the blend here that um, Ashley put together and come up with that base and that flavor profile and put them together really, to me, makes a really beautiful full-bodied uh, rye whiskey. I love the nose on this. Um, I get some tobacco on the nose and uh, I also get some like red fruit on the nose, but <clears throat> the flavor on it when, uh, when it's on your palate to me is um, sweet and peppery. It's not, um, it's not overbearing on either side. It doesn't punch you in the face. It does not punch you in the face. Yes. Now, I'm not a big, big rye drinker at all. Um, and one of the things that puts me off about rye is the, is the nose on it. Mm -hmm. I have never liked it. Maybe because it's a rye, I don't know, but this is more of a Kentucky rye, right? Yeah, it's okay. a. We call it a Southern style of rye. It's mm -hmm. it's my palate personally gravitates towards a corn based distillate, Tennessee whiskeys, bourbons. Um, so naturally, um, and, and the whole reason why we made rye, and I, nothing to you know denigrate rye by any means. I mean, it's the grand old grain. I mean, the first whiskey that was produced in this country was rye whiskey. So, uh, but also, and I think Ashley could speak to some of this rye. I think consumers probably there's a little bit less market pressure on a rye. We made 50 barrels of rye our first year with the sole intent of knowing we would release that before our bourbon and our Tennessee whiskey came to market. Um, so, because of that, like in bourbon. Uh, corn based, you know, palate being myself, wanted to do that. Um, uh, a lot of corn content. So the grain bill on it's actually 55% rye, 30% corn, and 15% malted barley. Um, so it does have a heavy corn content, uh, which gives it a little bit of, it, I think it kind of softens, takes the edges off some of the rye. So, um, one thing back to what Ashley did for us is as a distiller and we're making, I'm making these decisions on what the grain bill is going to be, what our exit proof is off the still, what our entry proof is into a barrel at the end of the day, before that whiskey goes to market, every distiller ought to want whatever goes in that bottle to be the best representation of what they're doing. And so we, I felt like Ashley gave us that ability to do that. And then also a lot of his inventory management. So like, we're looking at so this year for our Tennessee whiskey, we'll be releasing about 60 barrels. Um, and with the goal, you know, obviously it's a balance between uh integrity of product and then also cash flow and things like that. So we're gonna we hold back about 25% every year uh for further aging and things like that. So as she's going through our barrel inventory, you know, we're we're she's keeping that in the back of what our what our long-term goals are in the back of her head. So it's not only is it um, helping us put our best foot forward as far as what we've, the whiskey we've made in the right uh, mix in a bottle, but also managing that inventory of barrels we have for, you know, for further aging. So let's, let's taste this. I, I smell in the nose, I get that cinnamon, you know, a lot in this, but that malted barley is maybe that's what I get in rye is the malted barley that comes out. 
Yeah, it's got a lot of malted character, but like what April was saying, there's like dried red berries in here. You know, dried strawberries. Mm-hmm. Not not fresh, dried. <laughs> there is a difference. But it's really nice and rich. It's got those deep fruit flavors. And that's not very typical of a rye. Rye usually get more herbal notes. And that's one of the things I love about this is you've got that sweetness. And it's coming from from the corn, but also in the style of rye as well. Well, let's let's taste this thing. Matt's already over there. He's almost halfway through his glass. You said let's taste it, man. <laughs> Forrest, Forrest, he's running. You got to keep him under check. There you go. <laughs> Yummy. That's pretty tasty. Thank you. I get that cinnamon coming through like that old cinnamon toothpick. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a, you could get back in the day. Uh-huh. Red hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, a little red hot. Red and hot we candy. actually, we use a um, a toasted style of barley malt. So there's a little bit of, you know, we treat our malt as a flavoring grain versus an enzyme grain. You know, most people are using a less quantity of malt. We use 15%, which is higher. We pay more for our malt because it's toasted before we get it. So we treat, I love the the history and the heritage behind malt. Um, and so anyway, we use a high, a higher content of, you know, 15% on almost everything we do. And it's and we spend more money on our malt because we do treat it as a flavoring grain. So I think some of that sweetness that um, you're picking up on the malt, and then Ashley was talking about a little bit of that sweetness. I think is some of it's contributed from that from that malt as well. I think that's a really important <clears throat> point too that separates this is you're treating it as a flavor additive, and everybody should do that. If you're putting anything in your whiskey on the front end, it's going to contribute flavor. So put your best foot forward. Going into the barrel, it's great. It's even better coming out. It's very interesting as a new make, like what she's talking about. You can see that. I, I love trying people's new make whiskey because it's, you know, before the adulteration yep. of a barrel, you can see what's coming off their still, what, what's kind of going on behind the, the just the mm-hmm. raw distillate. And so I kind of feel like, of course, you know, you're, you're always proud of your own baby kind of deal, but I feel like our new make distillate is, um, it's a little different because of, some things like with the toasted malt that, that Ashley was talking about. I've always said uh, that I thought it was because on our new make, as it comes off the steel with the malt, I get a lot more of a floral or an herbal scent that's like a, you know, lavenders and stuff like that. And I think it's really doing part to that malt. Mm-hmm. I definitely get that, <laughs> that malted flavor. I get that. Kentucky hug going on with this mm-hmm. rye too, though. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it down there. yeah, it's most definitely. And um, the proof on that is 95. And I'll kind of tell you how we came up with that. And actually might think this is funny, but, um, so we try to, I feel like, uh, the whiskey will tell you what proof point it needs to be. So yes. once we figured out exactly what our blend was going to be, um, through that process with Ashley, um, uh, our barrel entry proof is about 110, uh, so when we were coming out, we were a little bit lower than that. Uh, but anyway, so we I took the whiskey that we came up with that she helped marry together, the certain barrels and the percentages. And then we uh, proofed that whiskey from about 105 down to, to close to, I think 90 was the final proof point. But I ran that through a panel of our, of our folks and 
just weirdly, 95 proof was the, including myself, was the proof point that everybody selected. I didn't fail that one. And so I did the same thing for Ashley. I mailed her samples, you know, at the different proof points. And she went through the exercise herself and she's like, hey, I don't I, I thought mine would be higher, but actually like the 95 proof best. Yeah. So her selecting that proof point that everybody else had that before I sent her these samples was kind of, you know, kind of lock that proof point in for us. Another test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just likes to test me. I love blind taste yeah. I don't, no, I love no, no trust. Yeah. None. Well, there's a trust, but is it, you're doing a, you ever trust heard of verify? Trust but verify. You knew who yeah. first said that? No tell. So Ronald Reagan's the one that said, you know, that everybody yeah. was, so why do you need to go over and ensure that the Russians got rid of their nuclears? And he's like, I'm going to trust them, but I'm also going to verify. When you're dealing with nukes, it's always good policy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll risk it too. You know, I appreciate it because, I mean, I, I know I'm good at what I do, but I love when it's blindly, mm. like, verified. And he's like, hey, by the way, I did this, and I wasn't prepared for it. The sample that he did that with, kind of a fun story, um, I was blending. I was going through the samples and blending and just kind of said, hmm, wonder what this will taste like. So I threw it together in a tasting glass, like what a Glencairn, like what we're holding now. And I, t- I let it sit while I did something else. Came back. It's like, man, this is good. I had my husband taste it. So what do you think of this? Because he's kind of my sounding board. And he was like, man, this is awesome. I was like, I think I need to mail this to Lee and let him check it out. See if he's if he's following where we are. Well, by the time I walked from one room to the next, and I'm not talking like under other end of the house, I'm just right around the corner to grab a vial that I could put it in and send it to him. I come back and, and it's almost gone. <laughs> I said, what are you doing? And he said, you handed me a tasting glass and it was good. I said, well, I was going to send that to Lee. Hope I've got good notes as to what I put in it. <laughs> so your assistant blender there, he, uh, He's not allowed in my office. What's he called it? Would you, besides <laughs> husband, you call him the assistant, assistant taster? I, I'm not allowed to say what I call him <laughs> in public space. <laughs> That's, so yeah. how long did it take you to come up with this blend right here? Um, Probably a week, two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Once was- I got the samples, it was pretty, pretty quick. Cause, so part of my process, and this is something that – Over the years in working with multiples, I found apparently I'm the only one that does it. I look at every barrel. So when you're working with small batch sizes, you know, you're 50 less barrels. I've done 100 barrel dumps and I still do the same thing. I look at every single barrel because every barrel is a toddler. You know, sometimes they play nice together. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're amazing solo. And they are the worst kid in the batch when you blend them. Or maybe they're the quiet kid in the corner, but you put it in a blend and man, they're a rock star. So for me, it's really important to look at every single barrel so that we can really capitalize and showcase what the distiller's done. Because after the maturation, you know, we just, we want to put that cherry on top. We want to make it the best it can be for what it is. And, you know, with Lee, we've got a, he had an amazing product to start. So it was kind of like stepping back in, you know, at Four Roses. I had a lot of really good barrels, a lot of really good batches. So that made my job even easier. 
And it was just fun in a profile that really capitalized on that, but also keeping in the back of my mind. Is this something that we can reproduce? Is it something that if I hold certain barrels back, can we, you know, maintain this profile in the next blend? How how repeatable is this? And, you know, that's that's where we started. As I was looking through those barrels, I have my notes and that's what I've got up here. You know, each barrel, this is a good backbone. This one's a good flavoring agent. That's what April mentioned a little bit. I had flavor blends and I had base blends and then i took a combination of those two and each barrel kind of fit into one of those two categories and sometimes you might have three categories um i think with pennington's we had two or three so it just the barrels the barrels decide i I just help funnel them into okay barrels one three twelve and fifteen are all this kind of profile it it was very fascinating when so before we selected what we were finally going to do actually came down to Tennessee set in, in our kitchen and she walked us through her process. So we kind of got a behind for one thing she does for us. I don't, I don't know about her other clients, but you know, she kind of walks us through her uh, process of what she does from a mental standpoint. And it was very interesting to see how, what she was telling us, bore itself out in the tastings we did with her. So, you know, like she was talking about, she identified certain barrels that made up the backbone of the whiskey that was a common denominator. And then they were flavoring outlier barrels that she, and and there was about, there were two different base blends that we looked at and maybe Mm -hmm. two or three different flavor blends. And then the common, the, uh, co-mingling those together and the percentages of what we were using. I mean, it's, there's a, it's an art and a skill set that, uh, that's definitely uh, <laughs> that's hard to hard to master, and I, I think it's um, so we're we're learning from her, uh, not to replace her, but just so we know the process she's going through, um, so we can speak to our own to our own product, and I hope that makes sense. Yeah. At any point, has she told you something that like hurt your feelings? No, because I mean, she's never said, "Hey, this is a terrible barrel. Dump it down the drain." It's like, you know, hey, we need to let this guy sit for a little longer, or you know, I mean, I, I don't feel like we're there's there's no bad barrels, you know. There she may say, but yeah, she's like the bearer notes. What if she had told you that though? What if she had said, "Hey." um, well, think, you think you need to start over. We were just, you prepared for that? Uh, no. Or were you just hired? <laughs> <laughs> or were you just hired, hired somebody else? That's what I went crawling a quarter, I guess. I know. But, you know <laughs> in this first, uh, this rye whiskey, this is a marriage of 10 barrels, of which the sampling size for her was 16. Yeah. Um, so we ended up taking uh, 10 of those barrels to marry together. So there's six left for aging. And then of those 10, we didn't use all the 10. We were using percentages and things like that. So when we do this next deal with the Tennessee whiskey, we're going from 16 barrels to 60 barrels that she has to work with. So to me, um, it's, it boggles my mind when she was so much, she looked, analyzes each barrel that, um, that's a daunting task. And so it's, you know, I could see how that could get very, you could get lost in the, in the, weeds you know very easily doing that i could i could drink 60 barrels of whiskey <laughs> hey, i had 30 some this morning before i left the house so. <laughs> now, you, you spit it out or 
So I, that is another kind of art form that you learn over the years. I take such a small amount, just enough to get a finish. I can taste the most I've tasted in a day is about 200. And I was fine. I was not feeling it. I was not buzzed. So I just barely take enough to get the profile and the finish. And from that, I'll kind of jot down. That's what I brought all my notes here. Um, we were talking, touch back on the, if there was a bad barrel, I've got a couple that say blend off. Mm-hmm. And so what I'll do is when we go back to those, I'll look at my notes and I have notes whether the, the compound and thing that I was looking at, that's probably not the best. Is it going to mature out? Some of them will, some of them won't. So if we need to use that barrel, is it something that we can blend off? So my note is to blend it off. It's not likely going to age out, but it's also not going to inherit, like inhibit the entire blend. And looking back here, I've got a few that needs age and then I think two that say blend off. Mm-hmm. And when so. you say blend, I think what actually saying is incrementally blended over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we're doing yeah. a big batch, it yeah. might be something that contributes to like that base, like mm-hmm. a real sweetness, mm-hmm. but won't really contribute a whole lot of flavor. So that would be blending it off. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're doing a 300 barrel dump and you've got one that's maybe a little high on diacetyl, a little buttery and not quite bourbony. But it's more of a, well, I just drank the movie theater better from the, <laughs> from the movie place down the road. Then, you know, in a 300-barrel dump, that one barrel isn't going to do nothing. Sure. If you're doing a 10-barrel dump, that mm-hmm. one barrel is going to make a big old mess out of it. And that's a lot of hard work that you don't want to mess up with one barrel. Mm-hmm. You know, resin comes in a lot of times picked up from the barrel. I just did a finish, and we blended the whiskey before it went into the finish. But one of those wine casks, was really resiny mm. and that barrel was so muted and it muted the entire blend so of the like 10 barrels i was like we got to pull this one out guys i'm sure <laughs> some whiskey companies <laughs> distilleries don't want to hear that at all because yeah. that's that's money in their pocket but you know as, as long as you're telling them the truth about it then then that's that's kudos mm. to you you know to being honest and your company's only going to be better for that and making these distilleries better, the better they do, the better you're going to do. Cause they're going to spread yeah. the word whenever somebody calls Lee and says, Hey man, I need a master blender. Yeah. Well, hold on. I got this Kentucky girl. <laughs> she's, yeah. she's, she's spot on. So we'll get into that in the second mm-hmm. half. Yep. Um, we'll talk about what else leapers forks got going on. Um, I'll bring up some, some press. You get going on down there. Um, talk talk about what's going on in the world of whiskey. Um, I gotta say, Ashley, I you know, for me not being a rye guy, still a whiskey guy, um, no matter what. But this is pretty damn good. I enjoy it. Three years, ten months. Yeah. Um, I think that's a spot on age at four year mark for rye. Anyways, mm-hmm. I think they're good at that. Yeah. Um, I like this. I could drink awesome. it all day long. I could drink whiskey all day long. Let me just be real, I guess. So <laughs> I'm like Forrest over there. Uh, there we go. <laughs> so in the second half, we'll get into that. Um, stay with us, listeners. And we'll be right back. like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Logheads Home Center for supporting this episode of the Bourbon Road. Logheads Home Center, nestled in the hills of Kentucky, 
is an industry leader in building handcrafted rustic furniture. Family owned and operated, they take pride in offering only the very best for their customers. The log heads, and that's what they like to call themselves, are skilled wood crafters who are passionate about creating rustic furniture for people who appreciate the beauty of natural wood. Owners Tommy and Gwen don't just sell the rustic lifestyle, they live it. And you can be sure that Logheads Furniture will always be handcrafted in Kentucky by artisans who embrace the simple way of life. Logheads Rustic Furniture is made from northern white cedar, a sustainable wood that's naturally rot and termite resistant. Its beauty and quality will add warmth to your earthy lifestyle for generations to come. Be sure to check out everything they have to offer at logheadshomecenter.com. And while you're at it, give Tommy and Gwen a shout on Facebook or Instagram at Logheads Home Center. Listeners, we're back we're here with the uh, Leapers Fork crew, as I call them. Lee Kennedy, April Willard, Cantrell, the Bourbon Baroness. And then we got old Forrest Gump, Matt King. <laughs> <laughs> and Ashley Barnes, oh, the master blender. Um, she's uh, contracted them for uh, blending their uh, whiskeys, mm-hmm. which yeah. was uh, probably a great idea on your part. Yeah. Instead of just using all your employees as guinea pigs, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I don't know if it's making you go blind or not, but uh, <laughs> try this, see what happens. Uh, yeah, so man, it, it's great to just sit down and, and, and uh, chew the fat with you guys and um, hear what you got going on in life. And just, just, I love talking to other, I guess, whiskey geeks to me mm-hmm. because you're just mm-hmm. as excited about it as I am, whether it be your own whiskey sure. or other people's whiskey, you know, it's the process. I've, I've heard all four of you say, Hey, I, I've got to try this. I've got to try that. I got to try this. Ashley's over here grinning from ear to ear. Cause she probably gets to try all kinds of stuff. <laughs> I <did. laughs> And she probably came in here and was like, look at this poor man's whiskey collection. <laughs> <laughs> sad. No, Such no. a sad looking bunch of bottles. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what's this, what do we got in the second glass? So the second glass is a bourbon. And uh, so a little bit of the story on our bourbon. When we when I started the distillery, I've always been a bourbon guy. You know, when I was messing around in my bar and I was making bourbon, I wasn't making Tennessee whiskey or rye whiskey. I was making bourbon. And actually, it was, and it was a weeded style. So this is a weeded bourbon. When we were going through our initial grain bills for the rye and the Tennessee whiskey for the rye, we went through seven different grain bills before we decided on one. And they ranged from up to 90% rye all the way down to the 55, which is what we came out with. Uh, on the Tennessee, we went through about three different grain bills. For the bourbon, I I had one, and it was a weeded style, and it's 70% corn, 15% wheat, and 15% malted barley, very similar to a lot of the other weeders out there. Um, and because it's weeded, you know, I've kind of been you're, – you're trying a, a this bourbon sample right now. It's about three and a half years old. It'll be turned four this coming December. But we're I'm kind of hell-bent on uh, waiting until five years for this bourbon. Uh, right now, it's a, it's a three-and-a-half-year-old, so it'll turn four uh, this December. So I purposely uh, waited, wanted to go five years on my bourbon. One, because it was a weeded, and I felt like it, you know, from everything that I've talked to other folks in the industry, you know, the, because of the the mellowness of that weed, I 
pulling some extra barrel notes out is probably a good thing is further maturation. So um, we, the first time we tried this was at about a year old and it was, to be honest with you, it was very underwhelming. Um, and you could really see why weeded are known for, for that little longer maturation. So um, this will be the last thing we release and, and um, it'll be at five years. So you're trying it early. Um, one reason we're up here right now is to drop off our samples, like we said earlier, to Ashley of the Tennessee whiskey. Um, so the first year we only made probably about 30 barrels of bourbon. Um, but right now our production is split um, between Tennessee whiskey and and bourbon pretty much evenly we make a little we don't we didn't make rye this year uh because of uh covid and some other deals so uh in rye you know it's it's um we'll probably make rye whiskey every other year so right now we're strictly bourbon and tennessee whiskey so you're you're trying to sample that we actually matt and i pulled a sample out probably about two weeks ago for the first time in two years so it's um anyway it's it's nice where it's at you know it's probably uh we haven't we didn't proof I think we proofed this out about 106 somewhere in there somewhere I think right. 1064 something like that yeah yeah and Ashley hasn't tasted this yet no uh, she hasn't no, no. Ooh, so yeah, no. In trouble now. <laughs> well I have taken a sip she has a, yeah, yeah. So, let's 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 yeah, know a sucker. Yeah. You know, a little alcohol. Yes, you do. Yeah. And I, and that's, uh, to me, that even though it's almost four, still three and a half, that weeded, that's why I say it needs a little bit longer in that barrel. Definitely. When, you, when your biggest barrel note is you're getting a lot of alcohol, you know, and Ashley can walk you through that, you know, obviously. But um, you can see where, for, for where it's at, I'm happy. Um, but it needs some more time in there. I 100% agree with that. It's actually, it's very nice. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people be like, oh, I'll put it in a bottle. But I love that you're able to step back and go, it does need, it definitely needs some more time. And what it's going to do, it's just really going to balance it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you're getting ready to take a sip. I'm going to take a sip. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let you take your sip and then I'll finish that conversation. <laughs> All right, let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> So it does have a really nice nose, but that palate's still a little thin Mm -hmm. and a little, you can tell it's getting there. It's got the beginning stages of a really nice, really nice wheat, but it's not quite there. It's a little disjointed. You know, it doesn't quite add up and get the balance and complexity. I'm getting a little bit of burnt sugar there, Mm -hmm. you know, where it is still probably young and I I can taste the wheat in there Mm -hmm. just... You know, maybe you're right for the five years, you know, and that's a smart move. And I think it's how hard is that is a distiller to have to wait that you, you probably look at those books and say, man, I, well, to be honest with you, they're between the rye and the Tennessee, it takes some pressure off that. So that's the good thing. And, and, and I, and I'm not, you know, uh, downgrading I've, our Tennessee. I love it. I think it's going to be, it's amazing how, at the, almost the same age, four years with a rye component instead of the wheat component, it's a completely different distillate. Of course, it is going through uh, the Lincoln County process. The reason I went with a rye style on my Tennessee whiskey, knowing that that charcoal mellowing process that we employ for Tennessee whiskey through the sugar vapor charcoal, it's removing a lot of those heavier fusel oils, which equate to flavor. So just as a distiller knowing you know grain bills, the in my head, you, you go into things with preconceived notion. 
that the rye could stand up to that charcoal filtering a little better than the wheat. Felt like the wheat would have a tendency to get lost. But it's in the the grain bill on the Tennessee is 70-15-15, just with the same grain bill as a bourbon, just where you replace the rye, I mean, sorry, the wheat with rye. And it really makes it um, a drastically different bourbon. And, and sipping this at the same age as the Tennessee is, it's um, – it's it's very diff- noticeably different. Like if you were, if I set that Tennessee up next to this, um, uh, you would it, it would be it's pretty mind boggling how different it is. With the, how that weeded needs that extra time. I don't. Know. I've tasted some younger weeded bourbons, mm-hmm. but they could be about the same age mm-hmm. out of like Texas or something. But mm-hmm. the warehouses there act differently, the maturation yeah. and stuff mm-hmm. than I would imagine Tennessee. Could be barrel size too, if it's the distillery you're thinking about. No, they're, you know, I mean, her, <laughs> so the same me and her were talking about that, and the yeah. distilleries that we actually went to were all using 53, uh, 53 gallon okay. barrels, and they stuck to that, yeah. to that mantra. And, and I gotta say kudos to them. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Balcones yeah. Iron Root, and uh, I don't even know how Balcones does it because the warehouses there, 136 degrees, right we're up in the fourth fourth level of that thing and I could barely breathe inside there. <laughs> I guarantee you. I was like, and yeah. they had people trying to fix barrels in there the whole time oh, wow. up there. So but it, it's just amazing to me to go to different parts of the country and see how different wheats act and um, oh, yeah. and I'm glad to see that more companies or more distilleries are uh coming out with weeded bourbons. Sure. You know, it was a professed weedy king of Kentucky. <laughs> I, I want to see everybody have a wheat. Even while turkey down the road, I'd love to see them have a wheat or bullet doesn't have a wheat. So I'd love to see them have a wheat. But one, you know, that's one reason I did a wheat and actually maybe have an answer for this, but you know, we don't grow rye that well down South and most of your corn based desolates, Tennessee whiskey and bourbons came from the southeast corner of the United States. So it always kind of intrigued me why uh, rye became the predominant flavoring small grain in bourbon when we grow wheat a hell of a lot better in the south than we do rye. I mean, we grow all of our wheat in Williamson County that we're using in our bourbon. Um, The rye we're using is coming out of southern Indiana. Uh, Of course, there's some guys locally now that are growing some southern strains of rye. So maybe it was different back then. I don't know. It's always kind of – you know, piqued my interest of why rye became that such a the predominant flavoring grain over wheat, knowing that we could grow wheat better in the South. I don't know. Yeah, I don't I'm not sure about when people started making bourbon and stuff. Um, I do know there were some heirloom grains used mm-hmm. back then. And I think Wilderness Trail is They're big for that, yeah. Big yeah. on that and stuff, yeah. using the heirloom grain and stuff, mm-hmm. something that's grown here in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. But that was kind of lost with time where that you know, if you're a major distiller and you can buy rye cheaper outside of Kentucky, you say, I'm going to buy my rye out of, let's say, northern Indiana mm-hmm. or Illinois or Iowa mm-hmm. or something like that. You can, if it if it's going to save you thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, you're probably going to ship it in. Sure. And, uh, that's and I, probably why they didn't grow wheat. Plus, people just weren't using wheat and bourbon sure. that, that much. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Maybe they just didn't like that profile, that sweetness. Well, and also you have to think rye kind of matures a lot quicker. Mm-hmm, yep. So it's all about all about the money, and, and that's, people are wanting to get that turnover. So I think that would have to play a role in it too. And what Ashley just said, kind of, we were going through that process that um, uh, as we were coming up with what distillate we were going to 
uh, distill and and our timelines of releasing and things like that. The reason, the one reason we did that right early is because of the a little bit faster uh, uh, maturation time with oxidation and things like that that tend to be a faster process with the rye-based distillate. But going back to what you were talking about with shipping in grains and things like that, to me, studying some of the early history of distilling, you know, there's old, old Scotch-Irish guys that came into North Carolina, Virginia, South Carolina, came over the Appalachians into Kentucky and Tennessee. They were basically distilling what they, what they could grow. So over in Scotland and Ireland, they grow barley very very well they did when they got over here especially in the south they had native american corn you know they were growing that um for their cash crop uh, and then distilling what they had left over you know uh in the form of whiskey so it's and then i guess you know some of these other flavoring grains kind of morphed over time into into bourbon but they just distilled what they had on hand well and then you and I in the history, I mean, in Tennessee history, when we were looking at grains, have found where rye grew in Tennessee. We just don't know what kind of rye it was. And it was, what was that in the 17, late 1700s, early 1800s when we found the rye? Yeah, about mid, mid 1800s. 1800s. Yeah. Do you get all into that? I do when I can. I, there's a whole lot of, didn't mean to hit that. <laughs> I mean, I, I really am a history buff. And so when I get a chance to really dig into something, I'm all about it. I haven't gotten the chance to dig into Tennessee or Kentucky history. I just recently started working with a cooperage. So I've been doing some hardcore research with that, which kind of gets my, you know, I went, I actually worked on my master's for a little while, decided I didn't want to spend my life in a lab in that capacity, living from grant, grant to grant. And so I get to <laughs> scratch that itch of research and, I enjoy it. I just don't get to do as much of it, I think. As- it's funny how similar Kentucky and Tennessee are. You know, before uh, t- uh, we talked about this on our last podcast when you came down to the distillery, but uh, pre Tennessee had its own prohibition starting in 1910, where federal started in 1920. In 1895, Tennessee had about 322 distilleries, registered legal distilleries, according to our local newspaper in Nashville. Um Kentucky had right at 400. So the size and scope of the industry was very similar. And you go back to some of those Victorian newspaper articles and things like that and ads. Um, Tennessee whiskey at the time was actually called Lincoln whiskey um, because down in that corner of Tennessee, they were using that Lincoln County process, the charcoal filtering, which the roots of that go back to Scotland and Ireland. People have you know filtered whiskey through charcoal. Even in Kentucky, they were doing it. Just in that corner of Tennessee, they made a really big deal about it. So a lot of the guys of those 322 distilleries in Tennessee, a lot of them are making bourbon already. A lot of them were making peach brandy, things like that. So after Prohibition, the two distilleries that came back, and that's a whole other history deal of why it was only two in those two counties, um, just so happened before Prohibition were making Lincoln whiskey, Tennessee whiskey. So that kind of put Tennessee whiskey on the map. You know, it's um, but all those guys in, in Tennessee weren't making uh, Tennessee whiskey. A lot of those guys were making bourbon in Tennessee pre-1900. Now we're going to get an argument started here. Now. Oh, I know, man. I need to get Michael, <laughs> Michael Beach, you need to get him on. Yeah, he's, he's. <laughs> oh, we've had, we've had him on here. We, yeah, that's we right. had yeah, that that's discussion right. of that process. And you, yeah. you really think about it. There's a Kentucky bourbon. Yeah. I might be wrong, but I no, think, I think I'm right. Um, Ezra Brooks that, you know, they tried to copy that process. I think there's another one. I think there's two right now. 
I think what, you know, as I was growing up as a kid, our winter crop, uh, which was a cover crop to stop erosion, was uh, winter wheat. Mm-hmm. And me, we talked about that on your podcast mm-hmm. um, down there where the federal government came in and did erosion control in the Tennessee and Cumberland Valleys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was, they said, you have to plant a winter crop um, mm-hmm. because a lot of farmers wouldn't plant a winter crop. Sure. Mm-hmm. And then all winter long, we'd have the you know, winter rains and stuff, and they have erosion can, uh, problems. Their fields are pretty much just dirt, useless dirt. Mm-hmm. Topsoil had been washed away. So they showed them what to grow, and I think that's what they brought in was that winter wheat. And mm-hmm. that's what maybe why you see more southern distilleries uh, going to wheat. You know, I, I don't. I don't know that. I know, like, a, I look at the history of Williamson County. There's a there's a guy in the mid 1800s that wrote the histories of a lot of the counties in Tennessee and they gave their agricultural production. So even back then, Williamson County was the largest producer of wheat in the state of Tennessee. And that was in the early 1800s. I think a lot of the grain too, that we're, we consume today has before we started getting into grain modification and things like that, you know, now uh, because of that, there's certain grain, it's almost like we, we uh, put things into a, into a box um, genetically where it might not have been like that, uh, pre 1900. Sure. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, dang scientist. <laughs> <laughs> We're in a rabbit hole. Let's, yeah. make, let's make that sucker better. <laughs> I just like to make it taste good. <laughs> so what, what do you, you think just leaving this in the barrel is going to help it age better? Or? I think you're going to say, you know, in another year or two, you're going to see, more creaminess come out from that. You can start to see it, but not your characteristic wheat creaminess. Uh, it's getting there, but it's not there. I think you're going to see a little more fruitiness come out in it. Um, probably not much more sweetness, but maybe those more herbal notes are going to round off some too. I, I like that you said that uh, weeded bourbons have a creaminess and stuff. I'd said that on a prior po- podcast that it I could taste some like um, vanilla cream in there or something. I think like and, melted vanilla ice cream. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and the, that mouth that, feel, how it yeah, feels in your mouth. Just kind of coats mm-hmm. your mouth and stuff. And when I said it, the person we were with, they were like, oh, "Yeah, <laughs> are you crazy?" No, yeah. <laughs> but no. that's just my tasting notes. I have different tasting notes and stuff, and I could see the potential on this. I and I got to applaud you for waiting that time. I, I know still. With all you said, it still has to be frustrating to sit there and just kind of twiddle your thumb sometimes and just like, oh man. It but is. you know, you, you know from experience that once you wait, you're going to get a good, better product. Well, yeah. And, and so, as a small batch new distillery, you know, you spend, you know, the project for the distillery, we did, we put our first barrel back in April of 2016, May of 2016, but the project started in 2011. So it's like you spend all this effort and it's no small task, as you know, going around and Ashley knows to start a ground up distillery, especially in, in Tennessee. You know, our law changed in 2009 for the first time since 1909 to allow distilleries back into the state other than two counties. So there was a lot of misconception from a governmental standpoint at the local level. And the state was kind of learning, relearning the process, even though it has Tennessee has a rich heritage with distilleries, distilling. Um, so uh, it was it wasn't an easy process. So when you go through all of that and being a, a, a passionate distiller, you know, you don't want to um, 
compromise the quality of your product. You've spent all this time, money, blood, sweat, and tears and just putting something in a barrel. So, and then obviously, you know, with, with whiskey, everything's about time. It's just a time consuming process. Every, every step, whether it's, you know, the whole process. So we, I didn't, I don't want to compromise what we're doing for the sake of return. Um, that's why we do other, uh, things like the rye to, to kind of offset that. Um, uh, we're waiting at least our Tennessee whiskey is, is we're waiting at least four years. So that'll be, that whiskey's turning forward this year. That's why Ashley's getting a lot of it right now. We're having 60 barrels turn forward this year. So we'll have that out by um, the end of November. So we're really just trying to, um, uh, to do our product justice and not compromise it. And the bourbon row is going to get a bottle of that. Absolutely. To, to do a review on it. Right? <laughs> well, no yeah. doubt. No doubt. Well, we, you could just save some cash and send it to her and I'll just drive over to Ashley's and pick it up. <laughs> We're right now. <laughs> yeah, come on. We'll put a, I'll put you up a blind tasting. There a few different things. Yeah. She probably has some really good stuff in, her, in that kitchen. I've, I've, my poor office. It, it looks like a bomb went off in there. <laughs> <laughs> so who was before you had brought her on? Who was do you just did a kind of a let's get all the employees together and blend some stuff and yeah. let everybody try it. I mean, we were doing so in our uh, Hunter Select barrel. It's a it's a marriage of thirty barrels. We usually uh, we would take we would go through those thirty barrels and then we would select what we saw as as single barrels things that uh, and we would do that through a panel um, of of which barrels that we felt like we would pull out. So then we would start marrying those the the rest of those barrels together and see how it went and. Um, and most of those were, um, they were all, it was all nine and 10 year old whiskey. So a lot different than three and four. And Ashley can speak to this, but you know, between three and four years old, especially where that rye was, that whiskey is changing incrementally monthly. So it's mm-hmm. like, it's kind of like, it, it's kind of like people, a baby, you know, that barrel is going to go through a lot of changes up to four years. And then. There's a reason that on the bottle and bond act we were talking about during the break, you know, that four years was a stipulation. And the reason now that after four years old, the TTB doesn't require you to put an age statement on it. So so after there's a lot of changes up to four and I'm talking, you know, generally speaking, I'm not getting, you know, but after four, you know, there's slower incremental changes. Um so, so there's by the time that whiskey's nine years old, ten years old, it's a little more stable. And we were, it was a simpler process for us than really at a at a, doing that with a three year old whiskey and a four year old whiskey, which Ashley's doing. Mm-hmm. It's a moving target almost. It really is. It keeps changing. You know, we talked earlier a little bit about my history with Four Roses. You know, throughout production. They're producing codes. Everybody knows you got mm-hmm. the different codes, the different yeast codes. And, you know, that makes 10 distinct <laughs> bourbons. I mean, that's 10 different products. Complicated. Yeah. So we didn't really start looking at those and giving them product designations until four years old. I mean, most people don't like inventory days. I loved inventory other than how much inventory we had. But you know, we would go through and that's when you start saying, all right, this is going to be a single barrel. This is going to go towards small batch or whatever, because that's also where you can really get a feel for how that bourbon or that whiskey is aging. And it's just like, you know, a toddler versus a teenager versus a 20 something. They start to age less quickly, you know, from week to week. I'm like, where, where did my baby go? Where did my little, you know, that little thing, (laughs) That little blob I brought home from the hospital. Like, I've got this like tiny man human. <laughs> <laughs> what the, what the, where did it happen? 
And you know, are you talking about are you talking about Matt? Here? <laughs> well, you know, if the shoe fits. <laughs> but the thing is, is you know, it starts to age less, but you kind of hit that curve. You know, we've talked um, the bell curve. Everybody talks about the bell curve. Some of those barrels, they don't curve down. They just keep getting better and better, and that's where you get the really old good stuff. But there aren't that many of the barrels that keep getting better and better. And there's a lot that can go into that, you know, on the front end, like, hey, my intention is to age this 10 plus years. Well, there's some things you need to do on the front end to make sure you've got the best shot for that aging that well. And the same thing on the front end. But to to speak to what Lee was saying, absolutely. Up to four years, you're getting a lot of change and a lot of things going on. And it is a moving target. So part of what I do with them and with other clients is, you know, when I'm looking at their distillate or I'm looking at their six-month-old or one-year-old, okay, your target is to release this at two years old. Here's what we need to do. But one of the things I do with some clients is they've got a aging warehouse type scenario. We'll actually profile out that warehouse kind of like with Buffalo Trace. You know, you've got certain products come from certain areas because you can start to see, you know, after four years um, how those are aging. You can kind of start to see, all right, my rise are aging much better in this area at two years old. But at four years old, you can really start to solidify that. That'll be a fun thing to be able to do. So she's mm-hmm. predicting predictability, patternability uh, yeah. b- based on position in a warehouse. Yeah. So, you and, know, put let's put all our rye in this area. We're going to maximize our flavor profile as it matures. We're going to put all of our wheat. We know it's going to take longer, but it does really well with slower aging. Maybe we need to put it on the lower levels. Mm-hmm. So your target. Fills. So what do you got? What do you got April and Matt doing now? What are you, what are you two doing? <laughs> Oh man, I don't think there's there's a lot that we don't do. Um, April and I kind of lately been working together to just tackle everything moving forward, especially with this Tennessee whiskey release. The rye release was huge. Um, I mean, April, uh, uh, if you I you want to add I'm, on I to would that, say something yeah. for, to add to Matt what Matt was saying when you were down, I guess a year ago, um, Matt was more in. Uh, marketing retail role dabbling uh helping us with nosing things like that and he's pretty much all on production now so he's is he distilling some yeah stuff so in, uh, he I, and Kendra, morning. yeah yeah this morning he got the steel going the run going this morning so uh we run a four-person production really a three-person production crew because i don't really consider i'm out there with them but there's a lot of stuff that i have to do that doesn't allow i'd rather just be on the distillery floor all day are you called a assistant distiller now? Is that your title? I, I think it, my title is just kind of whatever falls to the cracks that April and Lee need. <laughs> oh, no. I see, I, I see us as tag teaming. In fact, my husband wouldn't even agree with that. I woke up the other morning tagging him going, tag, tag. <laughs> so I was tagging Matt in. <laughs> well, I got to say thanks thanks to everybody for coming coming over to Jeff the Ben Farm. Uh, Matt, where can we find Leaper's Fork on the uh, old social? Social media. Social media. Uh, you can find us, uh, our website, www.leapersforkdistillery.com. That's L-E-I-P-E-R-S, Fork, F-O-R-K. Uh, LF Distillery is our Instagram. And then uh, our, our Facebook is Leaper's Fork Distillery. So. 
And what about uh, what, what they want to find you? They want to find the Forrest Gump of whiskey. What, they, what if they want to find you personally? Uh, they'll, they'll find me at <laughs> Instagram. Is going to be uh, Forrest Gump. <laughs> no. Uh, no, you won't find me as Forrest Gump on there. But you won't even find him on his real Facebook page. Just him. No, you won't. <laughs> <That's his actual laughs> Good luck. <laughs> I've, I've seen it. He's all clean cut and stuff. Yep. <laughs> Ashley, where can we find you at on social media? So Facebook is Spirits Group. I'm also on this on Facebook as Ashley Barnes. Um, I have a page on there. We're on Instagram, uh, Ashley Barnes TSG, and the Spirits Group. And our website is www.thespiritsgroup.com. Well, I'd say if you're a craft distillery out there and you're looking for some help. This is the lady to come see. Mm-hmm. Reach out to her at the Spirits Group. Get her to help you out. Don't rush it, you know. Um, and yep. if you're out there and you haven't tried a craft distillery, you're sticking with the big boys, I tell you, you're missing <laughs> out. Um, Absolutely. Go out there. Check out a craft distillery. Make sure you buy their stuff. Support local business and stuff. Uh, most of them are, I call them the American dream. If you're going through Tennessee, you're going to be in Nashville. Take that short drive down to Leapers Fork. Um, I will guarantee you this. It's absolutely gorgeous. One of the nicest distilleries I've ever been into, and I've been into a couple. So uh, <laughs> um, go down there and see them. Um, tell them all Big Chief sent you, the Bourbon Road sent you, and uh, they'll, they'll hook you up with some whiskey. Thanks, Big Chief. Thank so you, you can thanks. find us on the Bourbon Road, uh, at the thebourbonroad.com. Um, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We do two episodes a week. Sometimes we'll throw a third one in there. On Mondays, we do a craft distillery review. Well, me and Jim will sit down and we'll give our honest opinion of a craft distillery. Sometimes we'll throw in a big boy in there. Sometimes not, but mainly craft distilleries. On uh, Wednesdays, we'll do our main episode, about an hour long. It'll get you to work and back. Um, We sit down with these fine guests like we're doing today. Talk whiskey. If you listen to this right now, just scroll up until you see that button where it says subscribe. And please subscribe if you like what you're listening to. And if you really like it, you scroll back down and you're going to see where you can give us a review. You just go ahead and pop <laughs> on that five star right there. Leave us a five star review. It helps us get into doors. It helps us get into distilleries. It helps us get great guests like Ashley Barnes here and Lee Kennedy bringing us great whiskey. Um, and I got to say, Hey, thanks. You can find me at one big chief on Instagram and you can find Jim at J Shannon 63 and we'll see you on down the bourbon road. appreciate all of our listeners and we'd like to thank you for taking time out of your day to hang out with us here on the bourbon road we hope you enjoyed today's show and if so we would appreciate if you'd subscribe and rate us a five star with a review on itunes make sure you follow us on facebook twitter and instagram at the bourbon road that way you'll be kept in the loop on all the bourbon road happenings you can also visit our website at thebourbonroad.com to read our blog listen to the show or reach out to us directly We always welcome comments or suggestions, and if you have an idea for a particular guest or topic, be sure to let us know. And again, thanks for hanging out with us.